Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Hey, if you don't know me, my name's Eric. I am a pastor at, at Alpine Church, uh, currently at the Riverdale location, and I am glad to be here with you guys. I want to ask you a question. Do you ever think about eternity or what happens when you die? Obviously, I bet most of you probably have asked yourself that question because you're at church here today, right? And so a lot of the faith of the, of the Christian faith is wondering where, where do we go when we die? How do we, how do we secure our, our place in heaven or fire insurance? You know, how can we, how can we uh, stop ourselves from being burned in the, the, the fiery hell that is so often talked about and depicted in many different faiths? Uh, but as, as a pastor, as someone who uh, came to know Jesus Christ and the truth about the Bible and the good news, you know, the gospel, um, I've wanted and felt compelled to go share this message um, because it changed my life from the inside out. And so I've wanted to go share this with other people. That's called evangelism when you go share the gospel. And one of the tactics I would use is I would ask people, do you ever think about eternity? Or do you only just think about the here and now? And what I find is most people are stressed and struggling and really only thinking about the here and now. I mean, many people are thinking about, how can, I, how can I provide for my family tomorrow? How can I make it through today with this stressful work situation or this relationship issue? Some people are thinking about a little bit further down, like a, a one-year plan, three-year plan, five-year plan, maybe for your business. Maybe you're thinking about you know, starting your own business, right? And you're thinking about that a lot. Or you're thinking about your kids' future, college. You're thinking about... Maybe your 401k and your retirement plan. And oftentimes people are using these things or they're so bogged down with life here and now that they never think about eternity. Now it's interesting as we think about Israel, the nation of Israel, the war going on right now. You know, there's been a lot of things going on uh, in Israel for a very long time and actually uh, the, 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 the story we're going to look at today, today takes place in Israel. In fact, most of the Bible takes place in Israel. Now, there's a lot um, in surrounding areas. But Israel, 2,000 years ago, uh, and even now, was just kind of the epicenter of, of humanity, or at least that, that region. And so it's very fitting that it's getting a huge spotlight when things go on over there. The story we're going to look at is Jesus in Jerusalem, being challenged by the religious leaders of Israel. Um, in fact, chapter 12 gives us three challenges that the relig three different groups of people question Jesus and they test him. It is now Tuesday of Passion Week. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the story of Jesus' triumphal entry, and as he entered into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, it is the last week of his life where he will ultimately be delivered over to the Romans, crucified and killed. That was Sunday when he entered in. Now, last week, I believe, or two weeks ago, we looked at um, Jesus coming into the temple and flipping over the tables and saying, this, this is, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you guys have made it a den of thieves. And he's 
irritating the religious leaders, calling them out on their hypocrisy. And so the tension has reached a boiling point to where we got to get rid of this guy. We got to kill this guy before he makes our lives even worse. And also out of their pride, they will not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And so we're now at Tuesday of Passion Week. They call it the day of question or questions because three different religious groups question him with a trap. They're trying to trap him to get him to answer in a certain way so that it'll cause some kind of a riot or cause a certain group of people to be angry. Last week we looked at the idea of paying taxes and this week we're going to look at the idea of eternity. What happens when you die? And we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 12 verses 18 through 27. So Let's get into the first couple verses, verses 18 and 19. It says, then Jesus was approached by some Sadducees, religious leaders who say there is no resurrection from the dead. They pose this question, teacher, Moses gave us a law that if a man dies, leaving a wife without children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on the brother's name. Now, these Sadducees are bringing up uh, an Old Testament law in Deuteronomy about leveret marriage is what it's called. And it's, it's really God's desire for them at the time if they had a brother uh, who passed away that someone closest in, in, um, in, the, in the family would marry the wife to, so that the brother could carry on his name and have heirs to his family and his inheritance. And so that was something that they're bringing up to pose this question, to trap Jesus, Matthew's version of it says they were testing him. Last week we saw the tax question was to trap him. And that word trap is a very, a very violent word. In the original language, it was, it was like a, a bear trap, like a, like a pit that you would dig with spikes in it. And for this bear to fall in it and violently die by being, you know, uh, pierced, um, which is also ironic, by the way, because that's about what's going to happen to Jesus on Friday of this week. I told a story um, last week. I'll just tell it to you guys. I have had this mouse problem in my backyard. Okay, so I have a little uh, a thing with steps on it out my back door, and that's where I have my dog food in a dog bowl. Let the dog out, and and so. But we've developed these mice that have been living under the porch, and they're coming and stealing dog food. And so I thought to myself, what's the most humane way to take care of this? It's to go buy mouse traps at Walmart. And I wanted to see if they work, you know, those little things. You've, all, you've always seen them. I've used them before, but, like, I, I, I wanted to, you know, just be affirmed and sure that they work. So I bought some mouse traps, put some cheese on there, and I set them, and I was waiting, um, and it wasn't even within an hour. I'm sitting in my chair reading, and I can hear a couple of snap, snap. And I was like, wow, these things really work, you know. They're, they're violent, but they really, they really, and, and by the way, I mean, if, you know, I'm not here to offend anyone, and so, you know, just for PETA's sake, I want you to understand it was quick and painless, all right. <laughs> it was quick and painless, but... You, now you get the idea of the trap through these questions that they're trying to set for Jesus because 
they want to violently kill him. And right now, these questions are like them shadow boxing with him a little bit. They're trying to do it in, in, in maybe a, a, a not-so-obvious way, trying to stir up the crowds. And we'll see eventually that doesn't work, so they need to start telling lies. Now, who are these Sadducees? Last week we saw the Pharisees. They're the most famous religious leaders of the Bible. The Sadducees are a lot like the Pharisees and yet not like them at the same time. They're also leaders in the Sanhedrin and leaders in the temple, but they have different views and different interpretations of Scripture, and they constantly debate one another. And one of the things they debate about is the resurrection from the dead, you see the Sadducees only believed in the first five books of the Bible, that's the Torah or the Pentateuch, Pentateuch meaning five, right? So the first five books of the Bible were written by Moses, that's why they say teacher Moses gave us a law, uh, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, those are the, that's the story of God, you know, beginning creation and then calling a man named Abraham. And, and from that man named Abraham comes the nation of Israel and, and they become enslaved to Egypt. And so then God sends a man named Moses to free them from the slavery. And there there's the famous stories of being led through the Red Sea and God parting the sea and the 10 plagues and, and all of that. And eventually leading the nation of Israel to the promised land where they still, well, where some of them still reside today. Modern day Israel now is, is just kind of like a religious, you know, boiling pot or a melting pot of, of actually three main religions, which is Christianity, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, and they're all fighting over this land. But rightfully, it was the Jewish people's land. I'm just going to say that right now. That is the Jewish people's land. I still believe that. Um, and it was wrongfully taken from them. But in God's sovereignty, in God's judgment, God allowed that land to be taken by foreigners because they quit worshiping God in the right way. And they, they rejected God's son that he sent. And so the, the Sadducees are this this interesting group of religious leaders who are almost working with their enemies, like we saw last week, to test and trap Jesus. And there's a joke to help you remember who these guys are. They don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in life after death. They don't believe in angels. And that's just sad, you see. <laughs> right? So that'll help you to remember who they are. Now they bring up this question and they're trying to trap him and here's how it, it moves on. It says, well, suppose there were seven brothers, the oldest one married and then died without children. So the second brother married the widow, but he also died without children. Then the third brother married her. This continued with all seven of them and still there were no children. Last of all, the woman also died. So tell us, whose wife will she be in the resurrection for all seven were married to her. Now they're asking this facetiously. It was probably also a joke that they had as they debated with the Pharisees. Because as I said, the Sadducees uh, in Acts 23 verse 8, it says, Sadducees say there's no resurrection, there's no, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. And so they are facetiously bringing this up 
probably angering the Pharisees as they're all sitting there listening. Because remember, this is the week of Passover as well, and hundreds of thousands of people are in the city getting ready to take the Passover feast in a couple of days. And so Jesus had, keeps coming to the temple day after day, and he's standing outside, and he's, he's preaching, and people are listening. Hundreds, thousands of people are listening, and the Pharisees are listening in because he had just basically defamed them in front of everybody by flipping over the tables. And so they bring up this idea of the resurrection and marriage. And when, when we talk about resurrection, I want you to understand what this means is that um, there's a teaching that all people at the end of time that have died and went into the grave will be bodily, physically resurrected. Their bodies will actually be brought back together, bones and sinew and dust if you were, if you were cremated, which is a whole other debate I'm not going to get into. But however God can bring bones and things back together, there's a, there's a resurrection that will happen at the end of time when he decides to come and make all things New. Now there's also this idea then, so what happens when I die right now? Which isn't a part of this message, but I'll quickly tell you that Hebrews 9 says that it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. And so we know that at death, your, your, your spirit is separated from your body. And the body goes to the grave and rots, but the, your soul or your spirit goes to one of two places. Heaven or hell depending on what you believed in this lifetime. But that then is different from the bodily resurrection. It's similar. Same thing will actually happen, um, but there will be an eternality to all of this, where the final, the final spiritual body that you and I will possess um, will be given to us when Jesus comes back. And that's just a little bit of a lot of a, a doctrine that, that we believe as Christians, the doctrine of the bodily resurrection. <clears throat> and they're, so they're, jo they're, they're trying to trap him, and they're saying, so, so who's, who's this guy going to be married to? So they had kind of a skewed view of what's going to happen in marriage. But I, quickly, I just wanted to show you a place in the Old Testament that brings up even though they didn't believe in the Torah or the, the rest of the Old Testament like the Pharisees do, the Pharisees got their belief from books like Daniel 12, verse 2, and it says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. That's the starting point for the doctrine of the resurrection. And here's how Jesus responds to their question in their trap, it says, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. For when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels of heaven. Now, there is a lot to unpack in this verse. We've got scriptures, power of God. We've got marriage. You know, it says there won't be any marriage in heaven, and then we might even be like angels in heaven. So we've got to unpack a lot in this verse, and there's so much in this because Jesus can't be trapped by the minds and the schemes of human beings. He is God in the flesh. 
So every time they try to trap him during the day of question, he responds with just kind of like a, an explosion of wisdom and knowledge that we must all, because Mark wrote this down, we should try to understand what does this mean for us as well as for them. Well, their mistake is they don't know the scriptures. As, as I said, they, they discount the rest of the Old Testament and then especially the New Testament, which is Jesus and the, the new covenant in his blood and why he had to die. The gospel message that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all prophecy. He came to die on the cross in the place of sinners. We deserve the resurrection of the unjust and of the evil and to be judged for eternity. But Jesus takes all of our sin on the cross so that we don't have to be a part of that resurrection. But we can be resurrected unto life and be in heaven when we die. And so they don't know the scriptures, but they think they do. Why is this important for us? Because that's the same thing going on today. There are so many different beliefs about eternity, about heaven, about God out there in the world. And there are some that even claim to be Christian and have the Bible as one of their spiritual holy books that they refer to, except for the fact that some of our very close friends and neighbors and co-workers, they believe that this Bible isn't interpreted correctly or translated correctly, and so therefore they needed new prophets and new people to speak new things, which is highly condemned in the scriptures in the Old and the New Testament, by the way. So why? Yeah, why is this relevant? Because even though we know people who misinterpret scripture, we also are held accountable for what we believe about the message that God delivered, us, delivered to us. And we as Christians, one of the greatest doctrines we believe is the, the inerrancy. The Bible in its original manuscripts was, was created, inspired by the Holy Spirit through men but the Holy Spirit was in control of these men so much so that they didn't add their own ideas, opinions, and fallible feelings to the scriptures. But God used men to write down his words and every word in that book is from God himself. It's such an amazing book, by the way, and it's an ingenious thing to think that God would communicate to the people that he created through this medium of a book and of writing. Why is it ingenious? I believe because that is a form of communication that has always been since the beginning of time, and it will never pass away. You know, we've got text messages and phones, and we've got Snapchat now, and we've got all kinds of different ways to communicate but letters and written form communication will always be able to last. That's why I think it's first ingenious. But what, what else in, amazes me about the Bible? It is comprised of 66 books, 40 different authors, written over a time span of 1,500 years, spanning over three different languages on three different continents, and it tells one historic, congruent compelling, cohesive story about God's sovereignty, his creation, humanity's fall, and his plan for redemption. It is the most rational and logical document 
that answers so many questions that no other spiritual document can. And then secondly, we have so much archaeology, right? We've got the history of Israel that we can go over and look at. We've got manuscript evidence of, of these letters in the New Testament and some in the Old that date all the way back to the first century. And we can compare the Bible that we have right now with those and see that with aside from maybe some punctuation or some insignificant words, it is very, very, like 96% exactly the same as it was 2,000 years ago. None of the important doctrines or important messages of the Bible has been mistranslated. So that's a huge one for us. It's huge. If you don't believe that about the Bible, like I, I encourage you and challenge you to, to keep learning about this and keep discovering and, and, and questioning Man, what does that book have to say? And then go study it and read it. And then secondly, I also want to say, you don't know the power of God. I also believe that the power of God, if he can bring all of this together and make all that work, he also has the power to keep it and to, to keep it pure and to deliver it to us even 2,000 years later. Some of this stuff even written 3,500 years ago, if God has the power to speak the world into motion and create everything that you can see and bring all of those people together to write this as a love letter and as a message to his people, he has the power to keep it. But do we even believe in the power of God like in his creative uh, being in his, in his existence? Do we believe that he can do miracles? Do we believe that God can raise a person from the dead? I mean, that's also what he's getting at. Remember, we're a couple of days away from his death in the context of this. And he's going to die, and he's going to rise from the dead on the third day. And Jesus, in his ministry all the way up until now for three years, has been doing sign after sign after miracle after miracle, and they've been trying to explain it away over and over again. You do not know the scriptures or the power of God. That is the first mistake. You misinterpret scripture. And then he says something. For when the dead rise, they will rise. You're wrong about that. There will be a resurrection. They will neither marry nor give, be given in marriage. Now, to think about this, there are different, different hopes and dreams and interpretations of people thinking in heaven that maybe we're going to have an eternal family. You know, or, or maybe there's going to be, I'm going to be with my, my spouse, my husband and wife forever. And I'm here to tell you that I just don't know. And I don't think the scriptures make it like extremely clear. And so be very cautious and wary of, of someone who has come along later and says, well, I've got the answers because God spoke directly to me about this. We don't believe as Christians that God needed any other books. And prophet, prophets, prophets died out after the first century. Um, so this idea of marriage, though, I think maybe some of you are, like, nervous about this, and some of you are, like, some of you are like me, who remember the vows you took, or maybe my wife, right, where she's like, I committed till death do us part, but this whole eternity thing, I don't know. That doesn't sound like heaven to me if I got to keep putting up with you for eternity, right? <laughs> There's a reason why we have those vows, till death do us part, because it's been 
long time believed that we don't know what marriage looks like in heaven. All I know is, is that, that the Bible says that marriage is meant for two things. One is to, uh, to show um, the image of God in both man and woman and br- being brought together as two in one, kind of like the Trinity is three in one. But secondly, and probably even more important than that, is the idea that God or Jesus Christ is the husband and the church is the bride and Jesus loves his wife, that's us, that's you and me, men and women who have trusted and believe in Jesus Christ, like that is the picture and importance of marriage. It's an illustration of Jesus Christ's love for us. And when we go to heaven one day and at this resurrection, this will be like the consummation to the wedding. We're like in this long-term uh, betrothal period waiting for our our, our beloved husband to come get us and take, away, take us away and whisk us away to our eternal home that he's been preparing for us for so long. And so when we get there, we will be in such deep relationship with God that these relationships that we have now on earth will not be as significant and as, as important and necessary as how loved and connected we will be to God, our creator, Jesus Christ, the one who sacrificed himself and gave himself up for us. So, and then it says we'll be like angels. I, I don't believe that means we'll, we're going to be angels and we're going to be, you know, the, the boring feeling that some people get is that we're going to be these little baby little angels with wings and playing a little harp on a cloud, you know. No, heaven, heaven, you know, the Bible says, actually, I think it's in, it's in uh, 1 Corinthians 2.9. Paul says, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. We can't even, it's so beautiful that we can't even describe it. And man, I long for that. I hope you do as well as a Christian. He goes on. But now as to whether the dead will be raised, haven't you ever read about this in the writings of Moses in the story of the burning bush? Long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, God said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, so he is the God of the living, not the dead. You have made a serious error. You see, they have it wrong. And why is this important for us to understand? Because there's so many people that have the truth of the Bible and the truth about who Jesus is wrong. And we can take a lesson from these Sadducees. And he goes right back to their scriptures, which is our scriptures, in the book of Moses, in the book of Exodus. As I said, when Moses was called by God, There was a burning bush. Many of you have probably heard this story. And the burning bush is out there in the wilderness. And and, and Moses is like, what is that? I'm going to go approach that. And as he approached, God spoke from the burning bush and said, take off your sandals for you're standing on holy ground. And then he says this, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And then he goes on to tell him, I'm going to use you to go free my people out of Egypt. But what is the, the important lesson we need to learn from there is that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died long before Moses ever existed. And he uses this present tense 
um, language that is really his name. I am the, the self-existent one. But to say I am the God instead of I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he really just, with this whole shadow boxing idea, they're, they're trying to jab him and he just hits him with a knockout punch with this. From their own scriptures, I've proved you're wrong. You've made a serious error. And that is this something that I want to touch on and why it's so important to get truth right. Why it's so important to really understand the scriptures and the power of God because there is a time of this resurrection that is going to happen. And as, that, as it said in Daniel, there'll be a resurrection unto eternal life and a resurrection unto eternal judgment. In fact, Jesus talks about that in the New Testament in John chapter 5 in one of his teachings. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of, of, Son of God and those who hear will live for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. You know, one of the things I want to help you understand about this doctrine of the bodily resurrection of God's people is that, you know, when Jesus rose from the dead, um, it, we can go look at this time he's in the garden and the women who found him at the tomb thought they didn't recognize him and they actually came up and asked him, do you know where Jesus is? And he's like, here, I, I'm right here. Like, and so in a sense, in Jesus's uh, glorified body, now he hadn't ascended to the Father yet, so it wasn't, but there's, there's something about this bodily resurrection that our bodies may be the same, but like in a glorified, perfected state where we won't have this pain anymore, this internal sickness, the things that grow inside of us or the things that are dying in us, right? There's something about the glorified body that should give us hope that the pain that we have to endure and, and the imperfections that we have will fade away and will be no more. In heaven, we'll have a body that can last forever, not just for 70, 80, 90 years. But it'll last forever. I don't know what that looks like. But it sounds so good. Right? I won't have to keep watching what I eat or tracking my calories on my fitness pal. I'm so sick of it. Right? Um, and then feeling guilty about it eating too many cookies one day or whatever, right? Like, I long for this day. But you know what's sad and scary is just like there's an eternal body for those who are raised out of the grave, for those who go to heaven, there will be some kind of eternal body for those who are going to hell that are separated from God. In First, Second Thessalonians 1, 9, it says, He will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. You see, the Bible talks about this place where there will be an utter separation from God. Jesus, in the book of Mark, he talks about this is the place where the fire's never quenched and the worm never dies. 
eternal destruction. And so there must be a body for those when they're resurrected that can just endure without being burned up and disintegrated in the flame, but will experience pain and torture forever. And these things are hard to talk about, you know, because it's, we're not trying to fear monger people like the news and the Political media is trying to get us all to live in fear so that they can tr- control us. No, this is, this is truth. And if we really love people, we can go past this idea of, man, I hope I don't want to offend people or I don't want any conflict. Like, to love someone is to be sacrificial and to push past that and to be bold and, and to risk your life. Take risks to share this with people that you love. Even if it doesn't come natural or it's too hard to do or I'm too tired or, you know, like, and often I'm convicted about that, you know, and my family is like, man, I have these intentions. I want to read the Bible. I want to do devotions, but my body, my mind, it wears out and I get tired and I make excuses and I'm like, oh, I don't want to do it tonight. But we've got to, as believers, look at this hope of the resurrection And try to bring as many people as we can with us. Because there is an eternity. And there is a truth about this eternity. And it is beautiful. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15. In a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body must be put on must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass this saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The last enemy to be defeated is death itself. Jesus will conquer death, there will be no more death, and we will sing in joy That death has no power over our bodies anymore. And it's such a beautiful thing because all around us we see death and we've got family members and we ourselves are slowly headed to the same place. And it brings fear in all of us. And yet this this hope of the resurrection ought to cause us to be able to endure, to push through for a greater hope. Romans 18, for we know that the whole creation, or 8, The whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we eagerly await for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience Paul, who wrote this in the book of Acts, it's recorded that he was imprisoned, he was persecuted, he was headed to his own death for preaching the gospel about this hope, and the Pharisees are the ones who got him arrested in the first place after Jesus Christ, of whom he once was, and he says this in a court type of a setting in front of someone who's about to determine his fate. It says, I have the same hope in God that these men have, that, they, that he will raise both the righteous and the unrighteous. 
But first John says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we, we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Hope. That is what I want to leave the Christian here with today, is that there is hope even though things around you are decaying and dying and you yourself may be even looking at that as a future, whether far off or near, there is hope that we'll, we, will, we will rise from the dead one day. We will conquer sin and death with Jesus Christ himself and we will be with the king forever. Our love is a beautiful thing. Last verse. Before Jesus entered into Jerusalem on this week, he did something, and only the book of John records it, and it's raising Lazarus from the dead. When he, rose, when he raised Lazarus from the dead, I believe that's a picture of what it's going to look like for us, but Lazarus went on to die later. But it was a picture of what he's doing, what Jesus was doing on earth. All the miracles was, he was doing was he was spreading around a little taste of the kingdom of God and what it will be like where there's no more pain, sickness, death, crying, mourning. And he rose Lazarus from the dead. And Martha, he's talking to her. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And the greatest question you can ask yourself right now, whether you're a believer, you claim to be a believer, or not at all, is do you believe this, that Jesus Christ is the one who can raise you from the dead by believing and trusting in him that he's come to take away the wrath of God that you and I deserve because we've been born in sin and we continue to sin and even our good works are as filthy rags to God. And we can't measure up to a holy God. So a holy God had to come down, be like us, and die for us. And it's a free gift by grace through faith in Christ alone. Don't be like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders who said, no, we have to work for it, we have to earn it, we've got to do all these religious rituals. In the pride and the arrogance. No, to be humble is what Jesus wants us to be. He, he himself was humble. He wants us to come and say, Lord, I bring nothing to the table. But for whatever reason, you've given me the opportunity to be born again, raised from the dead, transformed from the inside out. I say to you even now, you can be transformed and resurrected from your spiritual death even right now. The Bible says we're dead in our trespasses and sins, but, but by God's mercy, he made us alive together with Christ. And that is also a part of the resurrection. You need this first resurrection in you now. If you're an unbeliever here today, I would challenge you, do you think about eternity? And if so, do you believe in Jesus, the truth about him and who he is and what he's come to do? Let's pray. Oh, Father, Father, thank you so much, Lord, that you give us truth. You didn't leave us here alone to figure this out on our own and you know that we're fallible and we come up with our own ideas, opinions. We have pride. 
that holds us back from learning and trusting. But Father, I pray, Lord, that we would walk out of here today with so much hope and trust in your word that we can, we can do amazing things in your name, that we can go out and we can share this truth. We can pray with people. We can read your word. We can talk about your word. We can defend the truth. We can point out evil and injustice and call it for what it is. But we can also say, I myself am unworthy and I am so grateful that you've died for me and and no matter what's going on in my life and the opposition I face internally or externally, I have a hope that my body will be raised one day and I'll be in glory with my Father in heaven and his Son, Jesus Christ. Let us leave with boldness and courage with that in mind to love the people around us and to share the truth. And for the person who does not believe here today, Father, I pray that you would cause them Lord, to seriously consider. Like Jesus said, you've made a serious error that they would repent from their error of unbelief and that they would come to you, that you would give them the ability, that you would make this switch in their mind and their heart to repent and believe in the name of Jesus Christ, the only one by whom men, women, boys, and girls can be saved. I pray you'd reveal them yourself now in Jesus name. Amen.